0: Good morning, church family. Good to see your faces in the place today as we uh, gather together, encourage one another, and we learn God's Word. Today, we are continuing 2 Timothy. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 as we jump into, uh, let's see here, to this week and then next week is going to wrap up the uh, study that we've been on called Exchange as we're learning wisdom, learning about wisdom from 2 Timothy We've learned over the past uh, three weeks, the first week we had New Life Sunday, which was remarkable, incredible, amazing. Individuals that gave their life to Jesus got baptized as a next step in their faith. Can we just celebrate the goodness of God for a moment as we're grateful for these people? that have made decisions to follow Jesus, and then they decide to show that outward profession of an inward decision of faith. So that week, we just kind of opened up with a great big aerial view of Second Timothy as we began. And then Pastor Craig did a wonderful job introducing us to the first two big ideas and walking us through chapter one and through chapter two. You remember in chapter one, our big idea was that we can help each other uh, discover our gifts. Everybody is given a gift in the family of God. The moment in which you become a follower of Jesus, uh, you uh, you receive a gift at some point, a, re- a gift to be able to edify the church, encourage the church uh, for the glory of God. It's not something that you take on yourself and like, ah, oh, look at me, I got this gift thing going on. And we talked about what that looks like to actually find your gift and use your gift within the local church. Uh, the week after that, last week, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter two, that we can help each other develop discernment, that we can actually help each other grow. We can help each other learn. Now, some people are going to have a spiritual gift of discernment, and that's going to be a different level of discerning for sure. But everybody has access that follows Jesus to the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, which means you still have a level of discernment that you have access to. And we can help each other with that discernment. We're going through life group uh, uh, training right now, uh, developing structures and, and figuring out what small groups look like within the life of Community Life Church, and there's about 18 of us or so that sit around a big table a- area space, and we, we learn, and, and I love this because I get to be a student and sit there and learn from these guys, and what we're one of the things that we're learning as life group leaders, facilitators, if you will, is that we can actually use discernment and teach discernment. Discernment through our groups. And some of that comes with challenging and some of it comes with encouraging. Believe it or not, you need that in your life. It's called accountability. We need accountability in our life. We need people to come alongside us that say, whoa, hold on back this direction. What were you going over there? And likewise, you can offer that to other people. Now, today we're jumping into 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to go through these 17 verses together, and I believe that you can take these these two uh, this this chapter and 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 divide it into two sections. First section that we're going to see is difficult days are coming and that Paul is actually writing to Timothy to talk about these difficult days. And in the last portion, last, I don't know, five or six verses, he actually talks about how you can deal with these difficult days. Now, we want to make sure that we understand the context of 2 Timothy so we understand where Paul's writing from emotionally and physically, and also who he's writing to. So just as a little recap, 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his mentee, Timothy Timothy was known as uh, his son in the faith, and he's writing this letter. Now, Paul, where is he? Well, he's in prison. We know that so far. We also know that there's a, there's a, there's a strong possibility that he is either aware that he might die for his faith or that he is aware that the sentence has already been passed and he knows it's coming uh, one way or another. He knows that he's writing this letter, could very well be his la- as his last letter, and that th- we don't have anything else later than this. And so imagine if you're writing a letter to somebody, someone that you dearly love, and you wanna figure out what, am I, what do I write to this person? What do I say? What are the most important things? Now we look at it as four different chapters, but we know that this was a letter to Timothy. This is a section of the letter that we call chapter 3. And Paul decides to talk about what it's going to look like in the end days, what it's going to look like as we get closer to the time that Jesus comes back, and how do you deal with that. Isn't that so helpful? It's so helpful. It's one thing when somebody throws out, hey, I'm going to throw this curveball at you. Here's the problem. And they don't offer any solutions. Well, Paul actually says, here's what's coming. It's not going to get any better but here's how you can manage it. And he really emphasizes during this chapter, a love. Like there's less written about it in chapter three, but you can just, the richness of the last few, uh, from from about 14 to 17, the richness of what he's talking about. And we're gonna peel that apart together. For those of you that are about 20 years and under, do you have any idea what this contraption is. Jimmy knows. Let me me give you a little clue. Hey, Siri. (laughs) This is a device that once used to be, I don't know, who still has one of these rotary phones in your house? Do you, Don? I love you. Jimmy, of course you do, bro. Why do you have this in your house? And so you have a cell phone. So this here is a telephone. Now, I know you look at that and you go, well, that's weird. I have one in my pocket. No, you don't. You have a computer in your pocket that has an app to make phone calls. There's a difference. And so when you look at this, this was top technology, baby. And and interestingly enough, it comes with a leash. So it has this little thing right here that you would do. And let me show you how this works here. For those of you that are going, that is Fascinating. You want to talk about retro. This is, this is not on the end of a Target uh, a dresser uh, shelf. This right here is super fun. Trevor and I actually used it in between services to not to call anybody, because you know the extra cord that goes into the wall. And then when it's funny, we tried to make it cordless by just extending the cord and made it longer so the cord could actually go across the house. Anyway, so then what you do, check this out. This is, a, this is wild. Let me see if I remember. Okay, so I'm going to call someone. So I got 3, 3, 0. You're talking about slowing things down. Use a rotary phone, man. And so we would use these because we used to use these to just literally make phone calls. We didn't have, like, our calendar. We didn't have anything on there. Now, when I was growing up, um, this went away, and they had the buttons, which was faster. That was cool. But for some reason, they also had the pulse option. You remember this, guys? Where you could switch it to this, and you could be like... By just hitting a button. Why? I don't know, because it took too long. I was annoyed by it, so I would just hit the buttons. And we look at this, and I know you're looking at this going, oh my gosh, that's such an outdated thing, right? That's what we used to do, hold it up like this. It's actually better. In some receptionists, there's a thing, come on now, that would sit on your shoulder, and your head wouldn't even have to tilt. You don't know anything about that. We look at these things and we say, oh my gosh, that is so yesterday decades, decades ago. Likewise, believers, we look at this thing and we say it's outdated. It's unnecessary. I mean, let's just talk about the Old Testament, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Who in their right mind would ever want to read through any of that stuff? It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. It was their system. After all, Jesus did come to fulfill the law. And so why do I even need to know about, about it? Let's throw in the New Testament. That still, that's still almost 2,000 years old in some cases where you're looking at it and you're going, I just don't think that matters to me anymore. And we'll view God's word as something that's no greater than that. After all, the world has come up with better, different. Why do I need to look at 66 books in a canonized document when I can just go as I feel? All I have to do is check with myself sometimes if I want. And then I just follow whatever path I choose. Why would I deny myself and pick up my cross daily when I can do whatever I choose? I can be whatever I think. I can follow whatever path looks best in the time. And I can switch it at any time. Apparently it was a big idea. It was a big deal. Because Paul, during his last letter, knowing he was about to die for his faith, writes this in the letter to his mentee, Timothy. If if there's anything I want you to know, this is a portion of what I want you to know. That difficult days are coming, but I also want you to know how to deal with those difficult times. And the answer simply is God's word. But let's walk through 2 Timothy chapter 3 and let's see what he has to say. What are these end times that we speak of and what are we learning here? 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, he makes this statement at the very beginning. Paul says, now, you should know this. It's a leading statement rather than a completing statement. The statement of, now, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, right, we're leading up. We're not taking it from the previous, but we're leading up to, now, I'm about to tell you something, and you should already know this, Timothy. That in the last days, there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. Now, some people would look at this and say, oh man, this is a very prophetic element within scripture. Well, yeah, in the sense that it is gonna be difficult days, but it doesn't appear within the context that this is actually an element of prophecy as much as it is uh, an element of reminder, obviousness. I'm gonna make a statement that is obvious. You are sitting in this room I get it. Okay, (laughs) that's obvious. That's not prophetic, right? You're going to be sitting here for the next five minutes, as far as I know, as the Lord allows. And so it's one of those moments where it's like, listen, these days aren't going to get any easier. Like Jesus himself said, listen, they hated me. Understand they're going to hate you. And so it doesn't make it that it's going to get easier for you, that everything around you is going to make it easier. You may develop such faith and strengthen your faith that you're going to be able to handle it better. But that doesn't mean everything around you is going to be easier. And so he's saying, listen, it's gonna get harder for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. Do we have any of that today? Right, come on, let's just raise it right here. This guy right here has been disobedient. He has been ungrateful. He has been a lover of himself. It's the human condition. It's going to happen. It happened then. It's going to continue to happen until the day that Jesus comes back and and takes care of everything and and we get to reign with him. Uh, At the end of the day, it's not going to get any easier. We can see it all around us even now. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Not hate what is different, but hate what is good. So when people that are not of uh, the faith of the Spirit, hate things of the Spirit, makes perfect sense because they don't understand the things of the Spirit. Well, why would I not just be who I am the way that I want to do my life? Why would I just follow this book or why would I follow Jesus? Well, of course, you wouldn't understand that. I don't expect you to understand that. Jesus himself said, my followers I expect a great deal out of, but those who I who don't follow me, I don't expect much out of. Why would you hold somebody? We need to stop holding unbelievers, non-believers, pre-Christians, if you will, to Christian standards. They didn't agree to that. They didn't agree, of course, it's going to be the way that it is. Now, we can hold to standards within our home, within our life, and we can live it out. They They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them actually godly. Stay away from people like that. You have been given permission to stay away from people that act religious, but really don't know who Jesus is. What does that mean? We might have somebody in this room that could be somebody that goes around acting like it all the time. Oh, I just love God. He's so good to me. And then they live the opposite outside of these walls. I don't want to associate with those people, That hypocrites. I don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't want you to, and we're told, listen, don't even associate with that because they're claiming and they're actually projecting a false faith, which we're going to hear more about here in a minute, why Paul's not too happy about that. So stay away from people like that. The, verse 6 they are the kind of people the, who would work their way into people's homes with uh, win their confidence with vulnerable women who are burdened with uh, the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Now, such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. You imagine getting your name in the Bible, Craig? Did you mention this before? You mentioned this here. Or did we talk about it? It's the other two guys in the previous chat. Right. So, like, can you imagine, like, what Pastor Craig was saying about, like, your name got written in a timeless document for messing up? That's harsh. That's really harsh. I'm, I'm not trying to get. I mean, I guess it's done, so I won't get up in here. <laughs> but, but it's it's just it's just so. Oh my gosh, like. You could have been known for faith, maybe even in Hebrews 11, but now you're, you're known for messing up. So you've got Janice and Jambres here who opposed Moses and they depra- the depraved minds, they have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday, you know, I think that we need to be okay with someday. We need to be okay with someday. You know, we were told that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janice and Jambres. We want to see people get it. We want to see people get what they deserve. Am I right? Listen, what goes around comes around, we'll say in our new agey thought. We'll say those things. The reality is you do reap what you sow, but it may not be on your timeline. It may not be something that you are going to affect or infect. It's not you to decide how it plays out. It's you to decide how you're going to manage what happened to you. This is something that you need to figure out, forgiveness, right? So we're told that people are not going to be forgiving. They're going to be unforgiving. We need to be people that are forgiving because we're told in this truth that we are supposed to be forgiving People, but someday may not come in your day. The Lord will repay whatever He chooses, and there will be a day where everybody will acknowledge, man, I'm a fool. And it may be a good thing, it may not be someday. Then Paul goes into a little bit of a charge here, a little bit of trying to be encouraging, but just laying it out the way that it is. This is the truth. So he lays all that out, right? The the two individuals that kind of oppose Moses there. And he says, but you... Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live. Again, this is nothing that Timothy doesn't already know. These are reminders. Um, you know how I live and what my purpose is, uh, in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it the apostle Paul in jail, anticipating his death. And he's celebrating the fact that God has rescued him so many times before. Isn't that interesting? We want to, we want to be, we, all we want are the rescues, We don't want the challenge. We want the Lazarus moment. We wanna be raised from the dead and celebrate that, but no one's talking about the fact that Lazarus died again, right? You ever read that? I did not in there. And so we want these moments that are very flashy and fun and well, of course I'm still okay. Therefore God is my rescue and I'm good. But what happens when the lights go out? God's still good. We still worship him because of his worthiness. In the midst of his impending doom, he's saying, listen, he has rescued me from so much. And sure, God absolutely could do it again. But he didn't. How do we handle that? For him, it was death. For you, it could be an illness. Be a loss of something, individual, position. God is still good. You still should show up here on a Sunday morning and worship with your church family in the midst of your pain because God is still worthy. I'm not here for you. You better not be for here for me. You better be here because this is a place to worship God. This is a place that you can focus your eyes intently on him. Because with everybody around us just loving themselves and going as the wind blows, we're going to stay focused and fix our eyes. Even though God has rescued us before, I'm going to worship him because he's worthy. Even if he chooses to rescue me in a different way, or maybe he doesn't rescue me in my mind at all. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, verse 12. Everyone. Now, in this day and age, there was so much force behind the persecution that we know of. Now, of course, in this world it's happening, but it, but it may not happening to the degree here in America that it's happening in other countries, for sure. But there's so much force behind the persecution that happened here. People would be stoned, people would be beaten, things of that nature. We experience things such as you're sitting around the dining room table, somebody gets into something, hey, you wanna go do this thing and you have to be so bold to say, actually, I don't do that anymore. I don't I don't think that's actually a funny joke. And then the persecution comes when somebody says, oh, oh, you're too good for us now? You see, that's the problem. I'm not. And that's why I need Jesus to tell me how I'm supposed to do this life because I wasn't good. The only good inside of me is the spirit that lives inside of me. Still persecution. Maybe they didn't use words as much last, back then. I don't know. But today we love to throw words out like daggers, don't we? We love to say, try to get, notice this next time you get into an argument or something like that and you try to not have the last word. Mm-hmm. All right, let's close the service right there. Let's just have a moment of prayer. Try, I dare you to try to keep it shut and let it lie because we want to throw it out. It's a dagger. And people will persecute you because you follow Jesus. They will. And at some level, like, The thoughts that I'm having right now is this idea of almost accountability. Because if I'm acting like an idiot and I'm not acting like Jesus, I should be called out by anybody and everybody. But it's when you're acting in such a way that truly is godly and holy, as he is holy, that people push back. And then you say, man, am I acting like that? No, no, I'm actually not. Because you're looking at a mirror Right here that tells you the truth. Verse thirteen. But evil people and imposters will uh, will flourish. We've experienced that. Evil people and imposters will flourish. Flourish. People that call themselves believers and pastors that that are flourishing out there. Multi, multi, millions and millions of dollars of pastor wrapped up in scandals and situation. Now, we all mess up, don't we? Yeah, we sure do. And they have the opportunity and the privilege of restoration, just like you and I would. It's everywhere. And even people that don't even, I didn't do anything wrong, whatever. Evil. It is. The Bible calls it evil. Not just a bad day, not just a bad mood or bad attitude, but evil, And people are going to flourish around you. Isn't it so frustrating? You can be honest with me for a minute. We'll have a little one-on-one here. Um, Isn't it frustrating when you're trying to do what is right and people around you that aren't doing what is right or flourishing or appear to be? The mom that has tried for 10 years to have a child and can't do it for whatever reason, it's not happening, I should say. Not that she can, not but it's not happening. The Lord allows And yet an individual that is not honoring God is on their fifth or sixth. And you're going, I don't get this. These things happen. And we don't always understand why somebody flourishes in a job who has been climbing the corporate ladder and doing anything and everything they had to to succeed. And yet you're honoring the Lord and you're overlooked. Make no mistake, God sees you. He sees you. Keep your nose here not out here. And you'll be able to see that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. All right, we're moving on. uh, We're on chapter 3, verse 14. This would be the second half, if you will, of the two that I'm talking about. Not an equal separation of verses, but first, hey, difficult days are coming. You, you know the truth. You've been taught the truth. You, you know the scriptures. And he's, and he's focusing more intently now. Now how, This is how you deal with these difficult days. Verse 14, but you must remain faithful. You must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. Now he's bringing into some of his family here, right? His mother and his his grandmother. You have been taught the holy scriptures. Remember that word, scriptures, from childhood. and And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, the rest of this you have heard before. All scripture... Is inspired by God. You've heard this passage before, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. For all Scripture is inspired. In this spe- specific instance, I prefer the NIV, the New International Version, translation to this verse than, than the NLT. So I want to read a little bit to you so you understand the, what I'm trying to understand, what I'm trying to say here. All Scripture, that word Scripture means writings, The Greek word we get graph, get our word graph from, like autograph. And so, with that, this level of writings is scripture, which is important because it shows us that God didn't just speak his word, reveal his word, or share his word. He wrote his word, he wrote it down for us. So, these scriptures have been written down. And in the New International Version, it says that the scripture, the writing, is God breathed. That's what that means that it is God breathed, that his very breath spoken and he chose to use individuals to write it down through that inspiration. Well, man, isn't it just written by people then, and can I trust it? What's the the big deal? So let's think a little bit about inspiration and what this looks like, because how does inspiration, how does God's sovereignty and our will coexist, right? Because you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Consider with me for a moment that you get into a boat, and you're going on a journey While you're in this boat, you have the capacity to use your personality and use your experiences and walk about the boat however you choose inside that boat. But the boat is being guided by God himself in the direction in which he chooses for it to go. Consider with me for a moment that this book, 66 books written by over 40 different authors... Over a 1,600-year period of time, look at all those walks of life, yet they consistently move in a similar direction, a consistent, I should say, a consistent direction. And how do we wrap up all of Scripture? I'll make it very simple for you. Ready? All of Scripture points to one person and two events, You have Jesus Christ. Everything points to Jesus. The Old Testament is anticipating. The New Testament is writing about him and talking about it. And then what's going to happen when he comes back again? Jesus talking about his first coming and his second coming. All of scripture, you can see that theme running through everything. 1,600 years. And yet this consistent message across all 66 years books. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I want you to know how amazing your Bible really is. Typically three groups of people come to mind when I think about God's word. You have the individual that says, eh, it's just another book. Put it on the shelf with the other books. It's really nothing special. Interestingly enough that it's nothing special um, because it's been noted that in the Guinness Book of World Records, that is the leading most copied, printed, and distributed book in all of history. Since 1815, 5 billion copies have been printed and distributed around the world. It has been translated in some languages, 1,442 languages. Other parts of Scripture have been translated into 1,145 languages, totaling, ready, 2,500 8 uh, and 87, 25, 87, 2587, 2,587 different languages and dialects all around the world. In a world that there's probably about 7,000 alive, living languages out there. This matters. Paul believed it mattered. God inspired this conversation and Paul wrote down what matters on his last letter. And he says, focus on truth. You've been taught it, you know you have. Don't leave it, stay focused. Some people say it's just a book. Others would say that it's an important book. A Barna Research re, research group did a study that 19% of Americans Uh, who even believe in the Bible, uh, are actively engaging in it. 19, that's a one and a nine. 19% are actively engaging. What is active engagement? Three to four times a week just reading it. Doesn't delineate whether or not or designate whether or not they were doing real study, like intense study, or they just kind of opened a book and and read a verse and was like, good for the day. But they would consider three to four times of reading something active engagement. So they would consider that important. And then there's the third group. Those that truly believe that this is the book. The book. A gentleman, I forget his name, was on his dying bed and he had libraries, so many books. And he said to his assistant, bring me the book. And he what book do you want? You've got, oh my gosh, I don't even know, like like going to Pastor Craig's house. He's got books everywhere, right? Like which book? And he says, bring me the book. And they're trying to figure out what it is. And so there's one book for a dying man. It's the book. It's the book that contains it all. The truth that we need to hold on to The only book that brings it together is the book. It is the book that you, as a follower of Christ, are supposed to wrap your mind, uh, your life around. You're supposed to dive into it and actually do what it says, even if it's hard, even if it's like unpopular, even if you're supposed to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily, even if. We're supposed to follow what it says. All scripture is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Your Bible is remarkable. All scripture? We have a problem. We have a problem here. Paul was writing about all scripture. What scripture would he have had in his mind when he wrote the letter? The Old Testament. That's what they would have access to, right? As far as what they would consider scripture. So how can I trust, ready for this? How can I trust this, not just the 39, but all 66 books? How can I trust this as scripture? I'm glad you asked. There are indicators throughout the New Testament that New Testament writers viewed the New Testament writing as scripture. They were already looking at it as scripture, placing it on that level ground. Well, how would a guy know that? How would a man know that? Remember, you may be in the boat, but God is guiding that boat to the direction that he chooses. Let me give you two examples. The Apostle Paul quotes Luke in 1 Timothy chapter 5, so just right before 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and he says in verse 18, for the Scripture says, same word used here as in 2 Timothy, for the Scripture says, and they qu- he quotes uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. You don't need to understand that right now, but if you want to look it up later, go ahead and do that. And in another place, right, as Scripture says, and in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Well, that's interesting. Why would he say that this is Scripture? Because Deuteronomy, I'll buy. But this was not found in the Old Testament. Luke said this because he was quoting Jesus. They're already placing New Testament writings at the level of Scripture, inspired, God-breathed writings, And then the second time that we see this, another time that we see this, Peter quotes the Apostle Paul in 2 Peter chapter 3. And he says, that is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. I really appreciate that about Peter, that he would say, you know, I don't know. I don't always get Paul. I don't always get Paul. Right, like sometimes he just be, he can be a little bit a little bit rough. I don't always understand what he's saying. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. Isn't that fascinating? All Scripture is God-breathed. God intended for us to have this. And I know there's some cultural elements that you're going, well, that doesn't really like necessarily, I I don't have like an application for that. It's good for us to see how these go together. The new is in the old contained. And the old is in the new explained goes together perfectly, two pieces that can't be separated. I've heard pastors say that you should probably take the Old Testament out. Let's just focus on the New Testament. Jesus came, fulfilled the law. We don't really need that. That is not true. They go together like you would imagine thunder and lightning, paper, pen and paper, mac and cheese, right? They just always go together. They intertwine beautifully because they have a consistent message of one man, and two events over a 1,600-year period of time, focusing on the same uh, direction. So what are these things that, that this is good for? So what is it good for, though? What is this actually good for? Okay, let's say that I'm okay with it. Let's say that I like it. I even think it's important. What is it actually good for? It's good for these things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Let's start with teaching. This is document here the 66 books canonized bible here is useful to teach us christian doctrine to actually teach us what's true about god what's actually true about ourselves and what the world and what it's and and, and the world that we live in that scripture can actually teach us no matter what era we live in no matter what year it is what generation this can teach us You can already see it consistent from somebody that wrote this almost 2,000 years ago saying, hey, in the end times, you're going to have a lot of ignorance, self-loving people. Uh, Yeah, kind of have had that since uh, you you wrote this. It's a timeless truth. You're going to have this and it's going to continue. So God's word is useful. For teaching, that's what we do on a on a weekly basis. We have the opportunity to teach you, and likewise for us to teach ourselves what this is all about. The reason why we have a different people, such as uh, Pastor Melinda and Pastor Craig and Obi John, and um my friend, Coran Bishop, that will come, and Brendan, and we'll have individuals that will come and share. Why? Because I want to sit where you're sitting sometimes, and I want to hear from somebody else's heart, and I want to learn just as you learn. We need these people in our lives to be able to do that. Isn't that wonderful? To be able to learn from different people. This is useful. This Bible. It's good for teaching. It's good for rebuking or also convicting. We don't like this word. We don't like this a whole lot because you ever read God's word and walk away just kind of bummed, like, I don't know that I'm doing this. You don't read it enough. There should be moments where the Bible actually convicts you of your sin because you are a sinner. Right? And then at the moment that you chose Jesus, that you follow Jesus, you are now a saint, yet who still sins. And so you need we need this guidance in our life to show us, convict us of the things that we're doing. When we're acting like idiots, we need the Bible to say, don't be an idiot. And we need to have that confront us in our face. Likewise, we need people in our lives that will say the same things. It's good, it's good, it's beneficial for teaching, it's profitable. There's a profit. There's a benefit to reading this, teaching to rebuke for correcting. This is the simple understanding of even like small corrections. You know, you get off just a little bit and it kind of nudges you back online. Okay, let's go back over here. Small corrections. A pilot will tell you it's not about big corrections, it's about small corrections. Otherwise, you go in a big circle and you flip over. And so it's small corrections, little corrections to keep you on course. Because if you just go a little bit off a small percentage of a degree off eventually you'll be way off course you have to stay on course there is no room for being off course well this is just my vice this is just what i do once in a while you're 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 off course and you don't even know it so it's good for teaching it's profitable for teaching for rebuking Uh, for correcting or correction, and it is good for training. Training like raising a child. Discipline. You should read your... Isn't this fascinating that we're told that it's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training? I'm sure encouragement will come in there at some level. I didn't hear it say anything about positivity. You wanna be encouraging, you wanna be positive, believe, right, if you, if you don't believe you can do it, why would you even try, right? There's an element of motivation, but this is where we get this motivation. Hey, you know what, I can't do this on my own, I need to be taught. But that means you have to be submissive. You have to submit to what this is. Stop reading this until you can, until you can understand at least that basic concept, not even grasp it fully, but to know that you have to be submissive. Otherwise, what are you doing? Grab a comic book. They're more colorful. But you wanna wanna be a passionate follower of Jesus? Grab a copy of God's word. Turn on your iPad. Have it read to you and just saturate yourself in this truth. I can't tell you how many times I've gone through 2 Timothy already, through this study at least. It's been wonderful to see how it all comes together and what what Paul's been saying and how maybe some inflection might have come through that it's been wonderful this training. We need to be trained. So Paul wraps this up by telling Timothy scripture will equip him for everything that lies ahead. Our big idea for today is very simple. We can help each other get equipped. So instead of just giving out just blanket advice for things that you're not sure about, maybe instead say, I don't know, what's God's word say about that? What's God's word say about that? And then together point them to the scriptures and read it together. If you don't know, you don't have to know to point someone to it. Like just, I I, I know something's in there because I believe it. But the more you read, the more you're gonna know, the more you're gonna be able to equip others as well. Here's our next steps for this week. This week, what, what's one thing that you're going to do? I want you to think about this. Get equipped with God's word. How are you going to equip yourself? You're going to, you know, a little bit each day. You're going to satur- saturate yourself a couple times a week. What are you going to do to really get to know God's word? Everybody's busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. You ever heard that before? oh, but I'm so busy, I'm doing uh, pumpkin rolls and I'm doing pizza with a pastor and I'm doing all these. Well, then you better stop doing all that and you better just dive in. Don't serve Jesus so much you miss getting to know him. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. We need to get to know our boss. We need to get to know this Jesus that leads us and guides us. Just because you do a lot in his name doesn't mean anything. Did you really know him? And this week, how are you going to help someone else get equipped with God's Word? Trevor read Hebrews chapter 4 for us, and here's what it says. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. We need this in our life because it teaches, it trains, it convicts, it exposes us. It reveals our junk. I know that's not fun. I know that's not fun, but it's necessary. Search me, oh God, and remove anything unclean inside of me. Well, you need to be exposed in a proper, healthy way with people come around you and just love on you. Get real and get right. So for a discipleship moment, if you were having conversations with people, if you're discipling somebody or doing stuff at home with your uh, family, here's something to discuss. Do you really love God's word? You just need to answer the question. A handful of years ago, probably about 2014, I did not. And I was teaching it for nine years, but I didn't love it. How do, How can I tell? It wasn't my go-to. It wasn't my go-to. Now, I just wanna know, what does God have to say on this thing? And does anything need to change in your life? You need to decide that. There it is. It's been revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for 2 Timothy. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for all of it, really. But thank you for what we've just learned here in chapter 3. How we know the difficulties really are coming and are here. And the way that we're going to be able to manage that is by just simply focusing on the truth your truth found in your written word. I pray that you will hide these things in our hearts. Keep us so close to you, Lord, even if it's painful, that we would not steer to the left or the right, that we would stay on this narrow path. Empower us, strengthen us, fill us with your Holy Spirit as we desire, as we need to have discernment in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please stand. Receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here. Pastor Craig and I are going to go downstairs and have some pizza. If you're interested, we'll have some for you too. Come down and just hang out with us. Uh, for a little bit. Grab and go if you want. Whatever. We just love to be able to uh, uh, bless you and be a part of that with you. Now receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources that He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your heart as you trust in Him. Now say it with me. Go and be the church.